All right. Thank you, Joyce. And uh, again, welcome. If you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I want to let you know that I have a stutter. I forgot to mention that earlier as I talked for about five minutes. If you were totally confused or trying to figure out what it is, that's it. It's not the fact that I only got like four hours of sleep because I had to stay up and watch uh, U of A continue on its run. Yes, there we are. Props to you students who were no no doubt there storming the field and uh, you know doing doing what you ought to be doing and uh, you know cheering on the team. But um, this morning, as we get into our time together, um, I'm I'm looking forward as we continue. We love to preach through books of the Bible here at uh, at Redemption, and so we have been in a series in. Revelation, and uh, we will continue through that that uh, that that series for a few more weeks there until we get into our Advent season as a church. So go ahead and turn with me to Revelation chapter fourteen. If you have a copy of God's Word um, with you, go ahead and turn there, and uh, it's the last book of the Bible. So just turn to the back cover; you can find it there. If you don't have one, will you? Hold your hand up and keep it up if you would like one. We want to give you a Bible if you don't own one or you just forgot it today. Hold your hand up, keep it up, and we will get you one. And we also have them in Spanish as well if that's your heart language and you would prefer to follow along that way. So um, I see there in the back, so I'll help with this. But again, keep it up. This isn't an auction. That's on the 19th, right? But uh, So don't just do kind of subtle moves. Um, now, will you pray with me as we get into our, our time together? Because um, we certainly need uh, the Lord to guide us through understanding his word. Yeah, again, we thank you, Lord God, that uh, we get to gather here together, that um, we are able to come. We, uh, we get to decide or choose if we want to or not. We kind of, whether we're, tired or awake or, you know, how we're going to get here. We don't have to worry about hiding or all kinds of different things. And even as I announced and as we consider this partnership in um, India, even this week as I got emails from the ministry there of a number of the, the pastors who are a part of Mission Voice Network being uh, currently in prison. And so they're Wives are in many cases stepping up and, and kind of shepherding the the new churches that are being planted. Um, it's such a quick hate. Lord, we are aware that the world as a whole, here in our own backyards, here in our own hearts, and all throughout the world is not the way it should be. So thank you for ministries like those in India, Mission Voice Network being one, and so many others. Uh, Again, um, uh, Christian Faith Fellowship here in Tucson, who we just got to pray for. We are reminded, though, the world is, 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 is not the way it should be. You, Jesus, are on the throne, and you're doing something. And so we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will enliven us. Lord, wake us up from our, our slumber to see and respond to the powerful good news of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. So this is where we're headed this morning, all right? If you're looking for a title, I don't always give titles, but the title this morning in Re- Revelation chapter 14 is Singing Virgins, Preaching Angels, and the Great Harvest. 
All right, how's that for a hook? All right, it's not me. It's all there in the Bible. Well, uh, as you see, that's kind of how we have it broken down, how we'll walk through it this morning. And so with that, let's just get into it right out of the gates, all right? As we, uh, let me just read in chapter 14, verse 1, as Joyce read, thank you, Joyce, for reading this morning. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So just kind of pause there for a moment, right? As we walk through this passage together, there's a lot that is confusing. Again, if you're new or you haven't been with us throughout this series, this particular, so all of the Bible is given to us in what is referred to as the different genres. And, um, I think that's a French word. Marcus pronounced it way better than me when he was up here. But it's it's um, different, right? Like you have you have l- l- letters, you have um, laments, you have poetry. There's some history. There's all kinds of different things, and then uh, there are epistles, as is, is, is they're called. And then this is a, has multiple things, but it also includes what's referred to as apocalyptic. L- l- literature. And so what that means is a revealing. All right. So that word revelation is the, is, is actually um, the word for apocalypse in Greece. And so in, in Greek. And so what that means again is, is revealing what is actually true. So using creative imagery and like ideas and numbers and colors and sounds and animals and all kinds of different things. It is, again, God like pulling back the curtain and revealing what actually is. And so though we are prone to, I would guess that we read about these things, even, you know, here and this morning and people with, you know, tattoos on their foreheads and, you know, things like that. It's like, oh, this is not real, not true. I'm, I'm in the real world all throughout the week, and now I come in here and we kind of entertain and get into a time of like make-believe or pretend and just kind of pick out whatever I want to pick out. But that's actually the opposite, is God is using creative imagery and language to reveal to us what is actually true. Okay, because all throughout the week we are tempted and often our hearts will, will kind of trick us or we will, we will believe that, that, that there are other stories that are true out there. That there are other, other things where we can find life and purpose and identity and meaning. But God says, no, let me reveal to you what is true. So from these, five, these first five verses that we just read, that Joyce just read, and now we're walking into, at first glance, right, we just read on a surface level 2,000 plus years after this was written, or just under 2,000 years, and we get the idea, so, okay, there's a special song in heaven that will be sung, right, and only certain people get to learn this special song, and so apparently only perfect Uh, men who can sing uh, and only 144,000 of them. And oh, by the way, they have to be virgins. So they get to learn this secret handshake, which is actually a secret song. All right. You just said this is the real world. Uh, Is that it? That's like, 
okay, so we have to do some work, all right? We need to understand what's going on here. So um, it's not its surface value there, face value. Again, it's not just 144,000 perfect virgin men who can sing. So everyone else you can tune out. Okay, that's not, that's not what this is. So let's just walk through it a l- little bit together. Okay, 144,000. As we talked about a few weeks ago when we first entered into or I- interacted with this number, the 144,000 is um, 12 times 12 or 12 squared times 1,000. All right, I think I got my math wrong last time. Don't don't focus on the wrong thing, all right? Public school, sorry. But, okay, 12 squared times 1,000, 144,000. This is, this is God's idea of perfection, of completion, all right? This is um, the 12 tribes of Israel, and it's, it's not just, a, it's, it's more than you, it's a great multitude. And he heard this number, so he hears completion. God is a God of precise, of sovereignty, of authority, of plan. But then he turned and saw, and it was a multitude, even more than he could number from every tribe and tongue and nation. And so that's what this number is here. Again, it's that. So if you want to dig into that more, go back a couple of weeks ago when we talked about it. But again, it's, it's the idea of perfection and completion. Now, in verse 4, Right is where it says, um, it is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind. So again, there, like, what is that talking about? This is imagery that, again, people who first got this would understand that, that in the Old Testament, King Solomon had, a, had an army that was, and, and they had a practice. It was like King Solomon's perfect or great army, and they had a practice of preparing themselves for war, and they would be consecrated or set apart or, or kind of specifically prepared, and they would abstain from any kind of uh, sexual activity. And so again, this imagery would come to mind, those who, have, those who are complete and, and those who have been set apart or consecrated to participate in this great army of the Lamb. Okay, let me just kind of quickly acknowledge again how kind of... I think unintentionally hypocritical we can sometimes be, and we can focus on, oh, it's exactly 144,000, this army of the lamb. Oh, yeah, but the, but the lamb's not actually a lamb. It's not going to be like, ban, like you're following this lamb. Oh, that's right. And, and, and so, um, like, again, there's imagery here. I think that was a lamb, right, or a goat. I don't know, but um, you get the picture. Okay, so there's, again, there's imagery that we need to do some work to understand here. And then in verse 5, it goes on and says, in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Again, this isn't saying that they are perfect in and of themselves. That these are, it's, it's again this idea that, that they are so, so entrusting of who they are. Their identity and their purpose is established by God that they are, again, set apart. They are consecrated. And so this imagery here is these are a people who have been redeemed. All right, we're going to get into that at the very end. It'll kind of bring us there. But this idea of redeemed, just to kind of prepare our our minds, um, if you've ever used a coupon, which actually used to have like physical copies of coupons, now it's all on your phone and I can't figure out how to 
do it anymore. It's all part of the trick, right? But um, like I just learned how to use a QR code. I, I don't actually, I f still fully haven't. But a coupon, all right, you, you would hand something in and then um, it would be like as though you were, you were, you would get something back, all right? You would purchase something back. Something would be, you would redeem a coupon. So you would give in a, a coupon, something costs $10 and the coupon's 50% off. And so you pay $5 in it, right? And so like you get that, that item back. Well, this word redeem is connected to that. It's to be bought back with a price. And this price is, is we will again dig into is, is, is a price that has been bought in, in full. But again, the idea is again, coming back here is this is a group of people uh, a, a, an exact number that only God fully knows, but is complete, is perfect, of people who have been set apart, who have been bought with a price, who are fully committed to this lamb, this lamb who was slain. But then before we move on, let me just acknowledge way back up in verse one, another thing that a lot of times we focus on and just get stuck on. So I want to briefly mention it, right? It said, it said this 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So again, 144,000 virgins who can sing and have now tattoos on their foreheads. Like, what is this all about? Well, it, 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 we often focus on the sign of the beast, right? If you've ever heard that, you've ever heard that talked about, we got there a little bit last week. Let me just skip ahead here down in verse nine. Sorry, Coop, you got to keep up. Thank you. I know you got, uh, you actually didn't get a good night's sleep, but you're awake. Verse nine, look with me here. It says, it speaks into this. It says, another angel, a third followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath. Okay, so the mark of the beast gets all this attention, and we think of, oh, is that if you have to, like, you know, get some, some chip in your hand or your wrist or on your forehead, and we, all these things, and, you, and, and we think what this means, okay, the imagery is you either have a sign that you belong to God, or you have a sign that you belong to Satan. There's no neutral. And this, it would be almost like settling if it was actually just, oh, a chip or a sign or a tattoo or something. This language means that, that, that who you belong to, who do you identify with? The, the, the language all throughout the Bible of name, right? We wear like jerseys with names on our, you know, on the back and all these different things or hats, right? With a, a sports team or something along those lines. Well, name is not just like, you know, Brian, Jeff, Marcus, Dave, you know, whatever, you know, Sally, Jesse, Raphael. It's a name is, is an identity. It's, it's who you are. It's, it's what you do and whose you are. So I just want to ask all of us a question as we walk through our time together in Re Revelation chapter 14. Who are you? And whose are you? What does your life, what, what would the metaphor of a tattoo on your forehead that displays, this is who I am, this is what I'm all about, right? If it's not an actual tattoo, it's how you speak, 
how you dress, how you talk about others, how we spend our finances, right? How, how, we, how we represent ourselves, how we react when someone treats us unjustly. Right? All these different things. Who are you and whose are you? And then we continue on now, right? We see that there's this scene, this worship scene of these, again, this great complete number of people set apart who belong to this, this, this lamb, right? So now we continue on and picking up in verse six where there are these preaching angels, all right? We had, we had singing virgins, all right? Hopefully we've made some sense of that. Now we move on to preaching angels angels who are standing in the middle of heaven. So the first angel is giving a, a, a warning, all right? And, and so pick up with me in verse six. And then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God, and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Okay, there's an invitation for life. Like, think not too long ago. Actually, this is what we're doing right now, but I think it was, I think Jenny did it so well during the, 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 the or Joel during the call to worship and then Jenny, right? When she talked about a time of confession and then the assurance of grace. This is what this first angel is doing is giving this m- message of confession of who we are apart from God's intervention, apart from God intervening and stepping in. We are Objects, children of wrath, as Ephesians said. But through Christ, again, this, 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 this gospel, this good news, that's what the word gospel means, is being preached, is being proclaimed. This is where life is found, the first angel says. And then all of a sudden, again, in the, in the center of heaven, preaching, proclaiming this other angel, and just... By the way, if you've been coming here for a long time, you know what I'm about to say, but angels are not little chubby babies in diapers with harps, all right? Like angels are like massive and like warriors of light. Um, When someone encountered an angel, they fell down on their face and like thought they were gonna die. Okay, so angels are are serious. So when you're picturing preaching, don't picture Cupid or I don't know, Huggies commercials or whatever. It's something incredible. So now picking up in, uh, in, in verse eight, there's a warning. Another angel, a second followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So this is a warning actually of, of systemic evil. This is a warning against all of the evil in what is referred to as the world. All right, let me just explain or describe kind of where we're at. You have the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the way the world should be. In the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when God created everything and said it is good, and he created mankind, man and woman and he said be fruitful and multiply and cultivate the earth live all of life before my face quorum deo 
flourish, thrive, everything you do, your work, your hobbies, your relationships, everything. It is very good the way things should be. God is God and we are his image bearers, his people. But then sin is, no thanks God, we'll do it our way. We'll figure it out. And it didn't take long. Genesis chapter three is sin, is, 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 is a rejection of God and his ways, of our identity and our purpose coming from him. It's saying, I'll do my work and my business and my hobbies and my relationships the way I think they should be. I'll figure it out. I want it my way. All right, and that's what Babylon represents. In Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel is mankind building a structure so that essentially saying we don't need need God. In fact, it says there in verse five of Genesis chapter 11, we will make a name for ourselves. And God comes down and destroys and says, so that they will establish a name for themselves. Again, right? We just covered name, an identity, a purpose. Mankind will forever be lost apart from God. So he steps in and confuses their language. But that, that word, Babel means confused or confusion. And so then there's also, right, the great Babylonian empire, which in their day would represent all the power and licentiousness and just the goodness of life is all in Babylon. And they destroy, they use power and whatever they need for approval and comfort and just, just delight. And then in their day, the people who would get this would be thinking of the Babylonian empire, but they were, they were actually demolished. They were destroyed. So they would go more likely to Rome, right? Pax Romana, Roman peace, the way the world should be under Roman rule. Or fast forward to our day, right? Whatever great empire, the East, the West, communism, capitalism, Right, the United States, the whatever, right, Las Vegas, Tucson, Arizona, well, whatever world that we think this is where life is really found. If we just operate this way, if we just conquer through again, whatever it might be, military might, economic might, um, abuse of power and authority, whatever it is, this idea, this message that that oh, this is where life is found, and God says. Be warned, okay, in verse eight, the second angel says, there is, there is a judgment coming. That is not where life is found. And there's a, again, all preaching, there should be an encouragement and a warning. These three angels are primarily giving a warning, right? But, but squeezed in there, there's a little bit of encouragement. So if you're feeling warned this morning. Let me just give us a little bit of encouragement. This is a call to endure. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Okay, and then it goes on there. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. This is again, this idea that has been there all throughout Revelation. If you're struggling, if you're seeking to remain faithful, if you're acknowledging, you're proclaiming, right? You're joining in this worship scene and saying, yeah, 
Babylon, Rome, Amsterdam, Las Vegas, my neighbor. That's not where life is found. This idea of, of I can find my identity and my purpose and my success in doing that. But it doesn't feel that way. God, it's so hard to remain faithful, to truly follow you, to say that, that you, Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life. It doesn't feel that way. It feels like everyone else is living life more abundantly than, than me. Right now, I'm struggling, and this message of encouragement is endure. Continue to endure. Look at, remember the truth. Now, as you hear these warnings, be warned yourself, but also be encouraged if you're a follower of Jesus. For the time is coming when your effort, your striving, your work will be done, and the time of flourishing will be here in full. Hang in there. Stay the course. Run this race that has been set before you with your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Be encouraged. And also, again, be warned. Now in, verse, um, in, in, in verses 9 through 11, he actually, right, we talked about this, this warning and invitation. Life is only found in Jesus. And then be warned, there's systemic evil, systemic um, wrong that is there. Babylon, Rome, it's all going to be judged, but also on an individual level. Be warned. In verse 9, says another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image, right? We just saw this earlier, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the lamb. Okay, this is super popular to preach on. <laughs> But church, it's important. It would be unloving to not press into the real warning that on an individual level, yes, systemic, global, there is a battle of kingdoms, but no, there's no neutral. There's no middle ground. There's no, oh, I'm not with the beast, but I'm not really with the lamb. I'm not with Satan, but I'm not really with Jesus. Or I'm with Jesus, but there's an asterisk next to him. Like, I kind of have formed him in my image, right? He's my homeboy. He's my good luck charm. No, Jesus is Jesus. Jesus is alive. He's a man who is fully God, okay, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. This is his history. This is truth lived a life for about 33 years on earth in the same place we're all hearing about in the news right now, in Israel. He was a Jewish carpenter, the apprentice of his stepdad, Joseph, a carpenter. And then for about three years, he declared, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is among you. And he started to live his life, again, revealing the way the world should be, revealing anti 
Babylon, revealing life lived before the face of God, Coram Deo, the way he treated his neighbors, the way he dealt with people who were sick, the way he interacted with those who were marginalized and outcasts. And then he calmed storms with, with the authority of his voice. He rebuked demons who everyone else was terrified of. He just said, stop, or he actually said, shut up. And they stopped. And then he healed people who were sick. And then again, he said, this is the way, this is the world that should be and that will be. But then he died on a cross. And then he rose from the dead. And then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And he said, I'll be back. And that's where we are now. That's where the people who receive this revelation are. They're wondering, like, between the now and not yet, the, the what has happened and what will happen. Jesus ascended and said, I'll come back, but he hasn't yet. The world's still not the way it should be. And so there, this is real Jesus saying, are you mine? Does my name define you? Does who I am and what I've done for you define you? Does that shape every aspect of your life? Or... Or, or is your life found somewhere else? Because when he returns, he will gather up all those who are his own, who belong to him. And he will say, you are mine. Come into my presence. Enter into my rest, my peace, my shalom, the world the way it should be. But those who have chosen not to follow Jesus, who say, I want it my way, will get an eternity separated from him. Whereas we see here, there is torment, there's suffering, there's a, a constant reality of life not the way it should be, of life apart from our good creator who demonstrates his love for us and that while we're sinners, while we're enemies, while we're in rebellion, Christ died for us. He says, be warned. Judgment is coming. It's good news for those of you who have suffered at the hands of others. They will be judged. Sin, evil will be judged. And that leads into our last part. It's all a part of this great harvest. So now pick up in verse 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So this is, um, this is imagery from especially like in Matthew chapter 24. If you want to understand this imagery again, it's like Jesus surfing on the clouds, coming in like a, again and, and like a, a, a warrior of light or actually even more than that, the very source of light himself. He comes and now he's gathering and this specifically, this harvest is he's gathering all who have endured and suffered and who belong to him. All of his faithful followers, whose name, whose identity, whose purpose is Christ, he will gather up. He will bring into his fellowship, his community. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come enter into my peace. Come enter into an eternity of life the way it should be. Be encouraged. The harvest, the gathering 
is coming. And then they'll again be warned because this harvest includes another part. This imagery is the harvest of grain, his people, his followers, Christians, and then of grapes. Okay, continue on with me here in verse 17. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Again, there's a gathering of the saints, of, of, the, of the children of God who belong, who Christ laid down his life. He gathers. But then there's this other gathering and says, you, you who have chosen to, to live out of evil, you who have chosen to, to, to rebel against God and to crush his people, Okay, earlier I said very briefly, this is good news for those who have suffered. I'll just say this. If you want to, if you struggle with this like I do, okay, to be honest with you, there's an incredible, um, there's an author and a theologian named Miroslav Wolf, and he wrote lots of things. And, and if you just Google his name and you put suffering or judgment, he talks about the, for those who have suffered and been oppressed at the hands of others, the good news of the reality that evil will be judged. I think for those of us who really struggle and want God to just be a Santa Claus figure who kind of gives everyone a, you know, pass go and collect $200 and you're good, you know, it's fine. Is like we, we probably haven't suffered for those of us who have that. So I just want to put that out there. But this whole thing comes to fruition in verse 20. It all kind of comes to a head in verse 20. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Again, just think like, you know, I don't know. I'm not that tall. I think a horse's bridle is about here. And this is like many, many miles wide. So just blood that, that is everywhere. Again, this is the imagery, right? The cup of God's, the wine press of God's wrath. Blood that filled. So this is, again, the language of judgment. But something that we cannot miss is where does this happen? Outside the city. This verse is bursting with Jesus. What Jesus did when he died on a cross, he was judged, he was condemned, he, he, he was naked, he was beaten, he was ashamed. And because inside the city is God's holy place, the temple where God meets with his people, this kind of judgment that happens outside the city, Jesus took a cross and he carried it outside the city to a place called the skull, Kogatha, and he was crucified on this, on, 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 this, on, this, on this hill. And when he hung there naked, ashamed, he cried out to God the Father on your and my behalf. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Again, just a picture of judgment. Judgment is real. Jesus endured the judgment from his own father, the one he had the most intimacy, an intimacy greater than we can even fathom, he experienced judgment from. God turned his back on him and he cried out, why have you forsaken me? And then he finally cried out, it is finished. Tetelestai, the debt has been paid in full. Forgiveness is now complete. God demonstrates his love for you, Christ follower. Saint seeking to be faithful, but struggling, encouraged, called to endure. He demonstrated his love for you and that while you're yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Hear me, church, right now as we close. Okay, wake up. Let us wake up. Judgment is real. There is no neutral ground. Either we will come under the banner, the forgiveness of the judgment that has already been poured out on Jesus. And we will be again welcomed in. Come into my rest. You've, the debt has already been paid for you. You have been fully forgiven. You have been redeemed. You've been bought with a price. Or sadly, tragically, not arrogantly, hear me. Arrogant Christians should be an oxymoron. I don't say this in arrogance or judgment or pride, but in pleading. Don't stand on your own two feet. Judgment is coming. The harvest is coming. So as I pray, I want to ask us all to consider a couple of questions. Again, have you been redeemed? Have you been set apart? Do you belong to Jesus? Are you numbered in his great multitude who he's returning to bring into his harvest? Who do you align with? The mark. Who are you? Whose are you? How will you respond to this warning and encouragement? Let's pray together. Um, Lord Jesus, as we pray right now, uh, I know that I can't coerce, convince, condemn, encourage anyone. Lord, we need to hear from you. I pray that by your word, we have heard from you. And I pray now as we respond, Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will lead us to respond, to consider, to not be able to shake that question who am I? Whose am I? For those who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus to consider, does my life reflect that I am consecrated and set apart? Do my words and my actions reflect who I am and whose I am? And Lord, for those who are not Christians, maybe who've grown up in a Christian home or grew up going to church, but acknowledge, though there is a corporate systemic judgment, there's an individual reality. Do I belong to Jesus? Or do I try to stand on my own two feet? Lord, I pray that you will lead every one of us to repentance and faith and surrender and hope. 
through a relationship, the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.